Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Ask OTC, the show where we answer all your questions from the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. Straight off, one that uh, warms the cockles of my heart, as they say, from John. Does Copenhagen, or if you prefer, Gubernaun, have any chance of causing an upset in the Champions League? Well, that is the obvious question, because they got through to the last 16, but where do they go from here, Andy? Well, I think it's fair to say it's a fairly steep challenge against Manchester City. And also the fact that I know you can look at Manchester City's various issues, particularly in the Premier League now, but the reality is there's a very big difference between the ties that come out of the hat now and or the plastic bowl now and the ones that are actually played in February. I would bet on Manchester City being not just twice as good, probably three times as efficient then as they are now, which is a huge problem for Copenhagen. Having said that, on the other hand, um, they were brilliant twice against Bayern, brilliant twice against Galatasaray in very different ways because they were quite attacking in the first one. And then they let one of the most attacking teams in Europe basically have no shots until the last five minutes when they went down with, to, to 10 men to win the, win the second game. And they're brilliant twice against Manchester United as well. So, you know, they didn't steal the second place in the group. That You know, Jakob Nestrup, the coach, said like, after four games, well, I kind of feel we are the second best team in this group. And there's no argument with that. You know, mm-hmm. against vaunted opposition with greater resources, they really were. Now, not that they've got big resources for Scandinavia, um, they're very clever in the way they scout. They've got a good mix of experienced and, and, and quality young players. And the atmosphere at Parken will be fire as well. But I think you have to recognise there is a significant gap between them and, and Manchester City. Is it a fair fight, Nicky? No, not even at all. I mean, the question was, 
Is there a chance? Yeah, of course there's a chance. I mean, they've been to Manchester now. They're used to it. They've knocked out one Manchester club. Just like slipping into an old pair of slippers, go do it again. But no, come on. Look at that, <laughs> look at that team and 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 be honest about it. Naught out of eleven players make it into the Manchester City starting eleven. So should they win? No, they shouldn't. Can they win? It's a game of football. And as Andy said, they played really well in the big games against Bayern. And they've also worked really sort of you forget how early their Champions League campaign started, right? They've been doing this since July, getting all the way into mm. position. They, they've they've earned where they are. Mm. Uh, so to treat them dismissively is is wrong. But I think the point Andy makes about the time of year is really important as well, because I think this every single year with the Champions League, people make these judgments after the group stage. And then you get to January and teams sign players and sell players for a start. And, and secondly, when you listen to managers like Pep Guardiola specifically, He's talked pretty openly about this the last few years, about gearing your team up to be at its best later in the season. So even the sort of fact they're not top of the Premier League right now isn't necessarily something that they would have alarm bells ringing over. It, um, might, it might end up being anecdotal, might it? Yeah. The, the, the fact they're not top of the mind. If you had to pick a surprise in this last 16, where would your surprise be? And would Napoli beating Barcelona actually be a surprise? Yeah, this is a an interesting question from the point of view of the Italian teams because, of course, all three of the Italian teams were in the, the second pot. None of them won their group. So would you call Inter beating Atletico a surprise? I don't think you would because they were in a final last season. Mm. That's just a close tie. Napoli beating Barcelona would be more surprising, I think, given how much Napoli have struggled domestically to replicate the form they had. But I also find it very plausible that they could mm. knock out Barcelona. And I think that speaks to... Um, I think that speaks to the frailties of this Barcelona team. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that Napoli don't have actually quite similar frailties. I think the reason that I say they could knock them out, which is not the same as saying they will knock them out, is I don't think either of these teams can defend for Toffee. No. And so I think it's going to come down to who can be more ruthless. And Napoli, despite their faults, have still shown a couple of times recently that when when Kvarat, Scalia and Osman are on the pitch together, they're still plenty terrifying, even if the team is a bit of a mess. What about you, Andy? Which of the last 16 have caught your eye? I, I like PSG versus Real Sofiedad, simply because the reception in France has been, oh, they've done well here, haven't they? I think from a lot of people who've not seen Real Sofiedad mm. play, because they have been one of the better teams in the Champions League this season. Really impressive. They've got a load of different attacking options, particularly now they're starting to get Andre Silva fit and uh, Umar Sadiq has, has come in and scored some goals in in, in recent weeks as, as well. They're athletic. They get about the pitch. And PSG are very much a, a work in progress, I think. The, the other one that's interesting is Peter Bosch and PSV taking on Dortmund. Because Peter Bosch had a terrible time there. He's mm. absolutely flying at PSV at the moment and Dortmund a little frail. Well, again, Dortmund, I think every single team in that group of death that Dortmund and PSG came out of essentially showed themselves to be pretty flawed, mm. even though the games were very compelling. Um, and again, frankly, a lot of it was just about none of them were really very good at defending. Yeah, that PSG fixtures on Valentine's Day and, well, you know what the French are like with je t'aime, moi non plus. This is from Takim. How much responsibility does De Laurentiis have for Napoli's dropout this season, despite almost having the same team that won the Scudetto last season? 
um, immense responsibility, in my opinion. Um, and you can start that conversation by going to the most obvious point, which is that the manager is not the same manager. Um, Luciana Spalletti, perhaps, perhaps this was just in Spalletti's personality and how he always would have been that he would have wanted to to ride out of there on a high but without question the way that he was treated by the club the way that um negotiations about extending and improving his contract were handled or perhaps I should say not handled um made it a very clear decision in his mind to take that break away from the club at the end of the the campaign he felt like he wasn't supported at all um and and even before that wasn't supported in, in other decisions that were made. So De Laurentiis carries responsibility for that. And I think it's not an accident that even though they were able to bring together this magic formula that did something that Napoli hadn't done for 33 years, as soon as it's over, the manager and the sporting director are both gone because Cristiano Giuntoli also left the club. So he bears huge responsibility for that. He bears responsibility for the recruitment of the next manager, Rudy Garcia, which I think all of us at the time were raising our eyebrows at and questioning um, when there were much more obvious candidates available. Um, and perhaps even when we talked about on the main show this week, uh, Thiago Motta, who didn't seem to get considered. Um, so I think I think he bears a lot of responsibility. It's not uniquely his responsibility, uh, but I think he's the one in charge of the ship and the ship is taking some very questionable turns. But the, the way that he runs things and obviously is sort of historically informed because of the point at which he picked Napoli up as a, as a, as a club, because you look at the way that the Dortmund run and they've always got an eye on their financial path. So mm-hmm. I, I think whenever we're criticizing Dylan Entis, you, you kind of have to bear that in mind. But having said that, the atmosphere that he's created in not just making Spalletti feel unvalued, but making at various points, uh, Aussie men, Kvarat mm-hmm. every important player from their past. Um, so uh, Koulibaly, Mertens, to a lesser extent Insigne, feel not that valued as well. Does it get to a point, when you're talking about them recruiting their next manager, because Mazzari is only there for a, for a while, and you know we talked in yesterday's show about you talked about the possibility of Thiago Motta. You know, Igor Tudor has been mentioned as the mm-hmm. possible long-term replacement, which I, I think would be a really nice fit. Does it get to a point where, even though Napoli's a, a big club, an incredible football culture, which has obviously got a pull to it, does it get to the point in the not-so-distant future where coaches and players of substance go, do I really want to work for this guy? So he's... A fascinating character in, in all sorts of ways, De Laurentiis. And I think it's fascinating that, as you just alluded to, he actually runs an incredibly tight ship. I mean, the, the, the financials of Napoli have, have long stood out in Serie A as some of the better ones um, for any of the, the, the bigger clubs. Um, but he's actually often, even before Spalletti and everything else, fallen foul of the fans. The fans have been unappreciative of things he's said where he's been critical of... Um, just various aspects of Neapolitanness, I suppose, would be a very broad brush to paint it with. Um, and he's also made the decision, well, his son has, has been the one officially sort of uh, 
running the, the show there, but as a family, they've made the decision to invest in Barry and have a second football club. And there's been a, a real perception amongst a lot of Napoli fans that anytime something goes wrong, they go, well, because his attention's on Barry. The, the, the family mm. is putting their attention into a different club instead of our club. So mm. he's he's been unpopular for, for lots of reasons, despite being relatively successful. And his his legacy there is complicated because yes he's 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 taken them from bankruptcy all the way up to winning the league and done it without making terrible decisions for the club's long-term finances he's done it while sometimes being something that you would think fans would love which is incredibly stubborn about selling good players he's not let Victor Osman walk out for mm. nothing he's not let someone come in and, and sweep away Kvitsch Kvaratskhelia which could easily have happened but he also manages to um, inflame opinion as well with other things that he does. Well, you're on the right track because Dave has sent a question in which is asking, is the current lack of regular uh, a regular champion in Italy just a coincidence of teams' individual circumstances or did COVID perhaps change the Serie A landscape? Because over the last few years, Inter, AC, Milan, my Italian team, Dave says, Napoli have each won the Scudetto, which broke Juve's nine-season grip I thought you were title. I thought you were confessing there that Milan were your Italian team. Oh, <laughs> well, they can be, they can be. They're going to have to get to the back of the queue. But he's got a point, hasn't he, that it's changed. Napoli won the Scudetto in a changed landscape of uh, dominance of Italian football. I think probably this must go for all of European football. But without question, Italian football was marked... Um, in a fundamental way by by COVID. Uh, of course, everyone in Europe, it's hit their finances and affected them in different ways. Um, it has some part in the story of the Juventus plus Valenza scandal and subsequent resignation of their entire board. Certainly, some of the justifications for being so creative, shall we say, with the accounting came back to... Um, this idea that look we're trying to make things work in an incredibly difficult time with covid and so we're we're pulling every trick we can think of out of out of the book um and in a more tangible on pitch way stefano pioli talked about it with milan about actually sort of working with a really young squad that was not supposed to win the league title when it did having the opportunity to have those young players work in empty stadiums when otherwise they would have been thrown straight into a, a heaving San Siro, as much as that might sound like a positive to have all those fans behind you, it brings with it a much higher kind of pressure, whereas playing in empty stadiums allows young players to make mistakes without feeling that immediate heat on top of them. So managers have talked about it. I don't know that that's unique to Italy, because if that's true for, for Pioli and Milan, then why wouldn't it be true somewhere else? But it's certainly been talked about in Italy, and and I think... I think undoubtedly has some impact. I mean, also to, to, to go back to Juventus for a second, think about when Juventus made that decision to sign Cristiano Ronaldo, which was always going to be a, a controversial one, always going to be a contentious one, always going to be a defining one, given how much it cost them for the club. Mm. It was so built on this idea of building your international brand and selling an image. And that's completely undermined by not being able to sell your stadium out by not being able to to have the not just the, the 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 boring part of selling tickets but the image of Ronaldo tearing things up in front of your your home supporters i i think there's so many knock on impacts 
that it's almost impossible to unpick them all. But broadly, to answer the question, yes, it's it's had a major impact in Italy. Um, I don't think that's the only reason we're having a period of, of different teams winning, but it's it's part of the story for sure. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, what's the story in uh, the Turkish Premier League is what I'm asking here. Because Paul wants to know, um, and from one week to the next, and it does seem as if there's a new drama. Mm. But anyway, Paul says, I read that the Istanbul Sport president took his team off the pitch against Trabzon Sport to protest not getting a penalty. How, how does this latest controversy further damage football in Turkey? That's really the question, isn't it? A lot. A lot. And um, to, to summarise what happened for people who didn't see it, um, there, there was an incident in the Istanbul Trabzon Sport game where it was um, 1-1 at the time. Uh, Istanbul Sport were appealing for a penalty. Um, the referee didn't give it. Um, Trabzon went straight up the other end and Paul Anuachu was on loan from Southampton, scored what what? I guess would have been the, the the winner that is about 75 minutes in. And then there was this stoppage and it became clear that uh, Ejma Sariolu, who's the president of Istanbul Sport, came down from the stands through the changing rooms and beckoned his players off. And it was a really weird situation because obviously no one really knew what was going on at first. And... um when it became clear that he was just taking the players off, um, a couple of the players were like begging him not to do it. They were like on their knees going, please do not do this. And he just continued anyway. And what are you going to do if, you know, your big boss is telling you to get off the pitch, you have to, you have to get off the pitch. So um, the game was abandoned. The Trabzon players and coaching staff and the head coach of uh, Trabzon is Abdullah Avji, who's a very experienced, used to be the coach of the national team. Uh, are all like really quite bemused by this, but particularly 
after the incident in Ankara, where of course the um the the, the referee was hit by the the the, the, the president there, Fadak Koja, or now ex-president of Ankara Guju. Um happening so soon after this, I can't believe that Sadilulu would would be that just stupid and insensitive. You know, everyone's had an argument with a, a, a decision in a, in a in a match before, but doing that is something that again has become an international story, and it's it's being particularly closely looked at in Italy and Spain. Actually, if if you look at the the international press on it. It it just makes the league a bit of a laughing stock, really, and also it shows that all the words that have been used over the last week to say, "Look, this needs to be a reset for Turkish football. We need to start again. We need to get in a position where referees feel respected and safe." There's a dialogue between referees and players, and clubs don't seek to scapegoat them, and then. You've got a club who's just thrown that all in the bin in the worst possible way, but a week later, and it's it's awful to think that you know the league was stopped, and yet you know eight days later someone's someone's got and done this, and it's just it's just as I think Ankaraguju should and have been like punished in really severe terms. I, I think Istanbul Sport have to be punished in really severe what, terms for this. Why, why is it the presidents, in both of the incidents that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, it's the presidents that have intervened to make a mockery of, you know, the system or the league? Well, I think the the way that Turkish football runs, it's often the president, because they're elected, they want to prove themselves to the fans. And I think in many of these cases, they want to prove themselves too much to mm. the fans. I, I, th- I think that that is the issue. Because from my experience with Turkish clubs, if you look at the middle management, the recruitment departments, you're talking about extremely skilled, extremely clever people. And yet the presidents will just go in there and go, you know what, we respect all the scouting and research you've done, but we're just going to sign a really old player for lots of money because we think the fans will like it. You know, it goes against all sorts of any sort of financial sensibility, any sense of future planning, any ideas of sustainability, any of that. So really, this utterly daft and in some cases very dangerous and repellent behaviour is part of the mindset of a lot of club presidents, I think. And that is what needs to change. For me, the timing of it is just beyond belief after what's happened so recently. I do hope you will be able to at least um, give me your uh, your recommendation for a continental football highlight of the year because that's what Tim is asking for, a highlight of the year. It is that time of the year, isn't it? You're going to get a question like this. Highlight of the continental football? I feel like this is such a cop-out. But it's also just true that Napoli winning the league is going to be the highlight of the year. Yeah. It's it's something that hadn't happened for 33 years. Um, um, it's, it's something it's, that I didn't know that I was ever going to see in my lifetime. I think lots of Napoli 
Um, fans didn't know if they were ever going to see again after Diego Maradona. That was certainly the narrative that I think that city had, had written for itself is we had Maradona and and things were, were this special and, and maybe they'll never be again. And and the scenes and the the, the moment that was experienced there, it's it's such a it's a thing that feels so trite to say when you say it because actually until you go there you can't really understand it. But it is such a unique city and it is such a um an overwhelmingly sort of football centric space sometimes and you go into the the middle of, of Naples and the Spanish quarter and every single corner you turn around is murals of players into sort of mixed with religious murals and the two the lines blurred especially in the case of Maradona between what's religion and what's superstition and what's football and now there's this whole new chapter to that story and this whole new set of heroes that are part of that story and the moment when they won it obviously and there were just fireworks beyond imagining going off uh, in the city and uh, the, the 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 mood there I think that will be um was well, it's not just a moment of the year that's one of those moments you remember in in football forever how about you Andy highlight of the year um I, I'm gonna take two because uh, I can't really decide I, I think the first I'm gonna ask you to choose one at the end of the two <laughs> okay good luck with that uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll vote Dot on which one's Indeed. better maybe Indeed. the first one was one I was absolutely actually present for. And obviously, I did a lot on their story this year, having written a book about Shakhtar Donetsk um, that came out this year. We play on, but um, being present as they beat Barcelona in the Champions League, it's a remarkable achievement, an absolutely remarkable achievement. Didn't quite get them in the last 16. They're still in Europe. Uh, they played really quite attractive football in this season's Champions League, which, again, is extraordinary when you consider everything they've been through. And that they just completely neutered Barcelona was amazing. And to see that in a new context as they did it in front of uh, a full stadium in Hamburg, which hasn't seen Champions League football of its own for a very long time, um, was pretty remarkable. As for something I wasn't at, you know, I think we all have this feeling sometime of the same teams win all the time. So to lose winning the Coupe de France and then going on to have a little... European adventure, of course, they'll be in the last 32 of the, the Europa League, the playoff round of the Europa League, um, going into 2024. That was remarkable, especially seeing the way Damian Komoli has has built the club and created this um, really interesting atmosphere there on a fairly modest budget, even though they're, they're, they're obviously owned by the, the same group as, as, as Milan. It's, 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 a, it's a fascinating story. I didn't want to get you off. I, I just wanted to see if Andy gets two, I want to. Go on, go on, then. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> because actually, I, I got to be in Naples uh, a, a few times this year, but I, I wasn't there at the moment when they won the league, which is actually a way to Udinese, um, because of course there was this sort of false false moment where everyone thought they was going to win, they didn't. But for the one that I was at, um, a Milan derby in a Champions League semi-final will also be one of those football things that you never forget, because San Siro physically shaked and I think when you're um it's such a different it's such a different thing to Naples actually it's actually a fascinating contrast because Naples has got this sort of odd um inside that stadium sometimes it can feel almost like you're out at a 
I don't know how to describe it other than like a, a sort of like a, a seaside nightclub sometimes when, when they score goals and, and, the, and the, the, the music goes off and it's got such a sort of party atmosphere in Naples and Milan is, is never going to be like that. Um, and it's also not anything like, for instance, the Rome derby where you feel like these teams hate each other and are going to go outside and, and fight in the streets afterwards. But that stadium is so old and heavy with all that concrete that when it's full up like that and then it starts to to move underneath your feet it's uh, that's something special as well yeah if nikki gets to i want to um, <laughs> um you've got to mention manchester city finally winning the champions league you've got to have that as a highlight haven't you tim said continental I, yeah. uh, does, does that count I think I think he's implying non-English there, isn't he? <laughs> okay. Can, can, can we can we compromise as Nicky's Bre- on here and say Bre- Inter, Inter's, Inter's brave run to the final? Yeah, let's go for that. Just as we've been recording this, the European Court of Justice has ruled that the ban on the Super League is unlawful, and the company backing the Super League has now released a reformatted. Super League uh, proposals. Ray, quickly, your thoughts on that? Well, it doesn't mean that it's definitely going to happen. What it does mean is that the possibility of clubs, a conglomerate of clubs or a company working with clubs can organise a tournament outside of UEFA's jurisdiction. So this this decision doesn't mean the Super League's definitely happening. And it says that elsewhere in the judgment, by the way. It isn't the finish of something. It's the start of something else. Me and Andy will be joined by just the man to discuss this, Miguel Delaney, next Thursday uh, to discuss the ramifications of this decision by the European Court of Justice and to look ahead to the future of European football in general in 2024. In the meantime, have a wonderful festive period. And I can say this better than Andy. Merry... (laughs) Well, you said it. You admitted it. Merry... (laughs) I can't now that you've made me laugh. Go on, you do it. Merry Christmas Eve. No, it's not as good. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas, even though it's not as good. It's the perfect sign-off. We're just, we're both (laughs) (laughs) On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 